Welcome to Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. I'm Young Me Mayor. And I'm Brian Park. Oh my God. And so the world turns. I have fucking COVID, everyone. Oh, oh Young Me. <laughs> Which is <laughs> fucking chaotic COVID, second time around. Um, but you know, that's fine. I feel better today. Do you want to tell our listeners how you got COVID or what what the rumors I are don't saying? Know. Oh, the rumors. <laughs> well, oh, should I should I say this? Because I'm, I'm throwing Asians under the bus. It's my favorite <laughs> hobby. Inter- internalized racism. It's all Asians' fault. Um, COVID start. I'm just kidding. That's that got really weird and racist. Um, I got <laughs> a pair. I don't know if this is true because I also started going uh, exer- doing exercise classes again for the first time in two years. So I kind of feel like maybe that's where I got it because that's like where I'm in a room with people. But I did go to this like Asian mixer where we're supposed to network with all these Asian creatives. And somebody else we know got COVID, she believes, from that mixer. So Brian, right, this right. is Brian's racist theory, not mine. That's not a racist Brian's- theory. All I'm saying, COVID, if you're listening, <laughs> stop Asian hate, okay? Stop Asian hate. Stop. <laughs> We've been through so much. Um, oh, no, gosh. Yeah, so that could be it. But then, but then, okay, so here's the thing, though. I'm glad you brought this up, uh, Brian, because... I read that after you have COVID, you're, I swear to God, this is like in some sort of research that you're not supposed to exercise. I don't oh, know so for this how go, long. This totally goes against your new exercise kick. So then I started exercising and I got COVID again. So, you know, that's sci- that's just science. <laughs> Great. So moral of the story, no more health and wellness and stop Asian hate. Let's reiterate that. <laughs> um, but any case, young me, I think we should introduce our guests this week because they are fucking amazing and fantastic. And I'm sure all of our listeners are like, stop with the COVID talk. We need to get to the meat of this episode. Yeah, we're so fucking over. Everyone's over COVID. Yeah, let's introduce our guests. I'm so excited to get this conversation started. (laughs) Listeners, you are in for an absolute treat this week. Your guest is an incredibly, incredibly talented multi-hyphenate performer. Listeners, give your ears to Alok. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. It's so... Okay, so this is the thing. You are... You're, like, doing so much that... You know, you're doing. You're like a published writer. You're a poet. You're like doing TV. An you're actor. Actor. Everything. <laughs> you're in this docu series with Jonathan Van Ness. So I think people forget that. Not forget, but people also fail to realize that you are a amazing stand-up comedian who headlined the New York Comedy Festival last year, and you're headlining Just for Laughs this year, the biggest stand-up comedy festival in the world. Um, how's that going? Yeah, um, I think that every time that people don't laugh at my jokes, I just think it's because they forgot I was a comedian, you know? That's how I, <laughs> I justify it. I rationalize it. I just got this interview question the other day that was like, what's your comedic style considering that everyone takes you so seriously? And I'm like, well, that's a but that th- That question itself is the comedy because it's just strange to me. I've spent my entire life saying, hey everyone, I'm non-binary, which means you can be both and, and then people don't understand that you can both talk about serious shit and be funny as hell. Like they have this idea in their head that being Mm. flippant is somehow opposed to being rigorous. And I actually think Mm. that they're braided with one another. My friend Lucy, who is a comedian was like, Oh, there's this quote. She quoted somebody famous and I forgot who they were, but they said like uh, talking about serious stuff in a funny way is just being serious, but funny. It's just like, Mm. why can't you talk about serious stuff in a funny way? I think especially for those of us from marginalized backgrounds, people are talking about us in comedy so much. Mm. And so even if I was to ever like, think about a world in which Asian Americans were chilling. Like I call my apartment the center for lazy immigrants and my dream for Asian Americans <laughs> is taking a nap. If I wanted that world where Asians could nap, um, then I have to be a comedian because that's one of the primary places where meaning about our communities gets created and disseminated, where tropes mm. and stereotypes about us get produced. So it's weird mm. that comedy is not actually seen as a legitimate form of political discourse when it is. And Mm. I've noticed, you know, doing more comedic venues is like 
people will take the intellectual and political quality of my work more seriously if it's a poem or if it's a book. Mm, But I'm like, when I'm constructing a joke, it's the exact same due diligence, the same political commitments. It just actually reaches more people. Wow. As a comedian, I love this insight. (laughs) But... Uh, yeah. I, I, there's so much truth to that. And I've always, uh, you know, I've questioned the same because on the totem pole of, I'd say, uh, the creative arts, like comedy sort of is on the bottom and it doesn't have the same mm. uh, reverence that like poetry does or being, a, you know, a, a, a writer or uh, an actor. And yet, you know, to your point, so much of like, I guess in American, in the American zeitgeist, I think so many people absorb their like whether they become informed on politics through the conduit of comedy, whether it's through like yeah. Stephen Colbert or Bill Maher or, or you know, John racist Oliver. racist tropes of Asian characters in media that have been played by white people in comedic acts for decades. Yeah. Right. Right. Wait, right. can I say, can I say something though? I also feel like what kind of on what Brian was saying, other people do actually consume serious content through comedy, but I think that people in this like sort of cishet world, when they're viewing comedians like you, um, and when they're talking about um, things that maybe make them uncomfortable, then they're like they're like afraid to laugh, and then yes. you're like, no, 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 I'm like, I'm <laughs> yeah, you're allowed to laugh at me right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hey everyone, you're not allowed to laugh at me when I'm walking down the street, but here is a socially permissible zone where you are in fact allowed to laugh at me. Exactly. But I mean, I think that's that's what I, I think that's what held me back from doing comedy for so long. um, Mm. Is that I was like, are you laughing at me or with me? That perennial crisis. As someone who's been ridiculed and humiliated my entire life, at first it was kind of traumatizing to have an entire group laugh at me. It's like, how is this different than like, my high school cafeteria, you know? But then I started to realize that actually that means I'm really good at telling a joke because I've been the butt of it my entire life. So I've been doing Mm. a deep artistic residency in comedy as the butt of the joke, as the bottom of comedy (laughs) for about 30 (laughs) years. And I've got a lot of chops to bring back. And then I think the second thing, I think it's like also the way that we're taught comedy is making other people laugh. And I don't think that's what I'm doing. This is the most immigrant thing I'm about to say, but I grew up with brown men who laughed at their own jokes. And (laughs) I grew up being taught comedy is not just about making other people laugh, it's also about making what makes you laugh. So sometimes Mm. I'll literally be on Mm. stage, why I'm so excited by this, I ripped off my headphone, it's that kind of day. (laughs) I'll be on stage and I'll improvise a new joke and I'll just stop and I'll just I'm like, you guys, that was really freaking good. That was so funny. And I'm laughing and it brings me joy. And so what I also really like is that as a queer and trans and racialized person, I'm able to interrupt the standard conventions of comedy and actually do something different with it. And what I'm trying to do is actually create public joy for my community, which has to deal with so much stress in the world. Mm. Like, how can I Mm -hmm. create an incubation center for an hour where it's like, I'm like freaking nurse joy out here, allowing the girls to really recharge. (laughs) I love that. Also, my favorite thing that I like to fucking say when people give me a hard time about me making jokes about serious issues and my own trauma is if I don't fucking laugh about this, I'm going to fucking kill myself. I mean, I'm not joking. I am joking, but, you know. (laughs) So, like, how dare you fucking tell me how I'm allowed to process shit? You know, this shit was fucking hard and I got through it while laughing. And I, I kudos to you for doing that as well. But before we, you know, ask you how you're feeling, Youngmi, how are you feeling? Well, I got COVID. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, I got COVID. I was like, it's been like a rough two weeks. Because I guess this week is when I had symptoms. But last week, I've been going through this rough patch in therapy where I've just been like, just, I don't know why, but we've tapped into this fucking deep shit that like, I don't fuck. And this is weird for me because I love I love crying and therapy and being like, like <laughs> touching all this like traumatic stuff. But this has been right, rough right. for me where there have been multiple points during my session where I'm like, I don't want to fucking think about this right now. This is so fucking hard. And so mm. and so these last two weeks I've been do- going through this like fucking really emotional stuff and therapy. And it's weird because it's like 
I think doing therapeutic work around your emotions is kind of like you're doing like physical therapy, like you're working on your broken leg or whatever, but nobody in society makes room for that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you can't be like, I had a hard time in therapy. I can't go to work this week. You can't say that. You just have to like get on the subway and like get your little fucking coffee and do your little life. And it that, right, that's right. like really interesting to me because I'm, I'm dealing with trauma that I experienced as a fucking teen, you know, over 20 years ago right now. Mm. And so on top of the fucking COVID, I'm doing that. And I also feel like maybe it's related, you know, like maybe I was dealing with that emotional trauma and it made my immune system sort of vulnerable. Yeah, so I'm going through a lot of stuff right now. And so that means like literally I'm crying at the drop of a fucking hat. Like, no, you know, I, I, maybe that's the COVID has something to do with that. So I'm crying <laughs> a lot. I've been crying. So, I'll, I'm probably going to cry so much today. <laughs> get ready oh listeners. no well that's okay <laughs> i mean you know yeah i'm glad i'm glad you're here with us and i'm sorry that you've been you know going through that well i'm no i'm so excited to do this because I, I i'm very excited for this interview though i have to say i'm very happy to be here well um, i yeah. think i think it's a good time for me to come out as a water sign so i <gasps> yeah it, it, I and so this vibe. is this is a safe space for emotions Public crying yeah. is my love language. It's like, can we even be friends if you're not breaking down? No, absolutely not. I, yeah. I'm a cancer rising and I can mm. always tell a water sign from a mile away. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm really committed to ending all forms of inequality except for water sign supremacy. I just don't like Wait. people. I'm not going like, to say what I, I want to say. I once had someone say to me, they were like, Alok, do you think that like people just don't experience emotions as intense as you? And I was so offended. It actually, it felt like a stop Asian hate moment. I was like, this is not okay. I actually do believe everyone is capable of experiencing the intensity of this feeling. They just stunt themselves from feeling it and they numb themselves. And we create a world that distances people from their own pain. I totally believe that. I'm not going to say what I want to say about water signs because I, you know, I'm a fire sign and because I'm a, cancer rising i feel like i get along with water signs very well even though i'm not supposed to but um you know I wait so you're it. not gonna say what you were gonna say <laughs> no. uh, well i mean i'm like sitting here with bated breath i'm like oh so you're just you're just gonna sit on this no i was gonna say i think that the, what people say about water signs is unfair because i you know i'm speaking as a member of the cancer community is that's oh. what I was gonna say. That's all I'm gonna say. I didn't Thank know. You. I didn't. I didn't know that people were uh, yeah, condescending towards water signs. I've always. I think people are mean to water signs. Yes. Really. Yes. As yeah. someone, okay. So I have like a cursory knowledge of um, astrology, and all I know is that uh, people don't like Gemini's. That's true. And all right, I so do. Gemini's I'm a fire sign. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, how about you, Brian? How are you feeling? Brian's an Aries, by the way. Just FYI. I'm an Aries. But I do have a lot of Aquarius in my in my chart, so I don't know what that says about me. Um, but how am I feeling? You know, I am feeling. Uh, this past week, I have been uh, kind of bummed because I've been experiencing a lot of what seems like career rejection, and uh, you know, in this field, it's it happens a lot, but. I don't know. It just doesn't, it still doesn't get easier. You know, I feel mm. like I've been doing comedy for X amount of years now and you'd think that it gets easier, but in fact, I feel like it's quite the opposite. Um, but mm. I, I think I'm in a good place about it right now. You know, I, my interests primarily lie in acting and in writing and, you know, my acting opportunities have somewhat dwindled and dissipated but you know on the other side of that coin i've been getting a lot more writing opportunities and mm. i think it's sort of making me reevaluate and question my talents i guess and who i am as an artist and what i am capable of but yeah it was a, it was a hard week because uh i had a particularly hard rejection to go through in terms of like my acting ability and uh it, it sort of made me like question like am i even good at this at all but lately i've just been busy writing a lot and so i i see it as a, a silver lining so yeah that's how i've been feeling is you know good and bad you know a, a certain kind of jobs where I, I guess it's like all jobs to a certain extent where you're looking for external validation and it's like 
that sort of like balance of like believing in yourself and the, but then also sort of needing this like approval of like a bigger uh, you know like an outside influence is just so difficult i think right but so much of it yeah. is a it's like a top-down thing you know my rep is just like a white person who just wants to make as much money off of me yet they don't understand like the nuances of what I my writing or like what I'm capable of or like what my whole yeah. like comedy persona is about and so let's say yeah. they'll like send me off to auditions for like the most random shit like you gotta play an Italian mobster and I'll uh. go with my acting coach my acting coach will be like why did they send you for this but then I still want to be a good client so I'll fulfill yeah. the audition but then I'll, I'll get a note of like yeah I don't know if you're like a great actor you have a lot of work to do and i'm just like you don't even fucking know who i am like well, how can you evaluate yeah. my performance based off of this and i think there's just so many like gaps i'm just frustrated with acting right now because so much of my success is reliant on the validation of this like other person whereas with write my writing like i have creative autonomy over that and i can control the narrative of that and I feel more empowered doing it. So that's just kind of, where I'm at. but yeah, that's, I, it's very well, annoying. <laughs> I, I mean, I think I feel that with my writing all the time. I feel like the thing about the create, okay, this is why I always tell Brian, I think this is my like motivational talk that I always give Brian is like, that's the reason why so many people don't follow their creative dreams. Right. They're so scared that they're going to put something forward and someone's going to be like, yeah, that sucks. Your writing sucks. Your comedy sucks. You know, your acting sucks. And just the fact that you're facing that head on, that fucking makes you braver than like 99% of the people that never even put their shit out there because that's their fear, right? So I feel like when, if you do get that sort of negative feedback, be like, dude, I'm fucking, I don't give a fuck. Like this is what stops people <laughs> from even trying and here I am trying and I don't give a shit about the, you know, like I feel like that should yeah, empower yeah. you in a way. Absolutely. But I mean, we're in so good company. Fuck those people. Yeah, fuck them. We're in great company here, because <laughs> Alok, Alok, you're doing that on the on the daily. But how are you feeling? Um, I'm in the middle of touring right now, so mm -hmm. I'm dealing like extremities of like, why do I do this to my body? And this is precisely <laughs> why I do this to my body. I think live art is the most beautiful thing in the world, and I've missed mm -hmm. being able to do live shows with the pandemic more than anything, and I. I don't think I realized like how much of a hole there was in my heart until now I'm seeing it and seeing like the kind of kinetic energy that gets created with a crowd and, and how healing that is for me and how healing it is for them. Um, and just being able to see people face to face and, and see how my work lands in people's lives, I think is really important and grounding for me. That's so great. So how long were that. you, how long were you like taking a break from live performance and comedy? Um, I'm assuming yeah. because of the pandemic. Pandemic, I, I think my final gigs were like January or February, 2020. And then I wow. basically only really started picking up again in person in like April, 2022. Oh, wow. Wow. So very recently. Yeah. Do you feel rusty at all? No, I feel better. Mm. Yeah, I feel... Oh, that's great. I feel, like, so much sharper. I think I also needed the break because I was touring mm -hmm. so hard before the pandemic. Yeah. And nothing would have stopped me except, like, a global virus that, like, canceled all my gigs. So I had to, like, sit with myself. And I think, really, to what you were speaking to earlier before, Brian, it's about developing a self-concept outside of what other people think that you should be or are. Being mm -hmm. able to distinguish your projection is not my my reality nor my responsibility. And so mm -hmm. what I was able to do, I think, during quarantine is to dream myself into existence, like develop a kind of self-intimacy to be like, who, who do I want to become? What part of me do I really want to flex out? And what mm -hmm. I really started to realize is I was like, I want to do more comedic work because mm -hmm. right now in this climate of escalating anti-trans violence and discrimination, I actually want to say, you think that I'm funny based off of what I look like and mm. absurd because of what I look like, but what about how you act like? And only comedy mm. allows me to do that kind of inversion work. So I felt mm -hmm. this kind of like political calling to show that isn't it hilarious 
that they accuse us of making up genders when they're the ones making up political issues. Mm. Mm. That's what I love about comedy personally for me. It's like this like just like the fucking absurdity of how of it all. Like all these people pretending that this is our normal world and you're the weird one or whatever and you're like that is fucking absurd you know yeah i mean it's like the, it's like the call is coming from inside the house a lot of time like all of this anti-trans rhetoric is so much of it in the popular zeitgeist stems from comedians themselves the the biggest comedians of them all and they're using their platforms to target the most marginalized communities i've never really like it's so ridiculous to me like dave Chappelle, i'm like this is the hill you're gonna die on like what are you doing <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very upsetting. And it I think it's been kind of surprising to me because, you know, the more comedy I'm doing, people are saying things like, I didn't know you were a comedian. And I'm like, what do you think drag is? And then you begin to realize there's a kind of institutionalized homophobia and transphobia, which just sees drag as something that's like, oh, the queer people are doing this thing. They're just playing dress up. It's not serious. But the true comedians are people wearing mm. ugly basic t-shirts and like right. walking around <laughs> with no aesthetics. Imagine trying to be funny in a seven inch heel, okay? The type of talent yeah. that my yeah. community has is yeah. unparalleled. And actually what so much of the tradition of drag is about mm-hmm. is mm. about a political comedy that mm. actually mm-hmm. satirizes, mm. oh my gosh, you think that I'm this contrived artificial creature Look at how contrived and artificial your family connections are. It's like a mockery of that. Do you know what I mean? And they're putting on this character. And, and the people that are like these stand-up comedians, I'm the serious like stand-up comedian. They don't even understand that them wearing like a loose <laughs> shirt and like cargo pants and a stupid like baseball cap, that's a fucking... It's, it's an aesthetic. That's drag. It's, it's like it's like they're Yeah, yeah they're, they're doing a character too, but they're too like they're like one level like too not deep to get that whereas mm. drag performers completely understand that mm-hmm. hearing you put that into words like immediately i'm making all these connections too there's just so many hypocrisies that exist like in this space where it extends beyond just comedians where i'll even use like people like jordan peterson for example or like any of those like associated youtube like aggro man sort of brands i'm like what like how you conduct yourself in the real life in real life is completely antithetical to what you're preaching and who you're like you know targeting your hate towards and it's gosh there's like so many hypocrisies that exist it's wild and they they can't even see it they can't but that's why we need com what i'm finding is that comedy is a medium is the only way to get people to see it Like if I was to argue with people, if I was Mm -hmm. to like write an essay, all Mm -hmm. of those things will not reach. But comedy reaches. And and I think this is why I feel really emboldened to bring comedy to people who've historically been ridiculed. Because Mm -hmm. I think what's been really cool about my shows Mm -hmm. is I have queer people come up to me and say, this is the first comedy show I've ever been to. I don't usually go to these because I'm usually sitting there scared that I'm going to be the butt of someone's joke. And this is the first time that I feel comfortable being able to laugh. And this was so healing for me. And I really needed this because I'm having a super hard week. And I'm like, exactly. We can't allow them to own comedy because Mm. comedy is necessary for our survival. By which Mm. I'm saying being flippant and superfluous and absurd is necessary for our survival. It's like the only way that we can persist through these incredibly apocalyptic and bleak times is by Mm -hmm. being able to find levity and joy alongside it. And I would argue that that was the origins of comedy in our society, in everyone's society. It's always been this thing where it's like a subversive tool because when people are oppressed and there is no escape from oppression, that's like the beginning, like even ancient comedy, like... Um, like traditions like even in Korea like where Ryan and I are from are like the most classic comedy is like making fun of the wealthy landowner that a fucking abuses everybody because he's an idiot and like that's the only way you can call him an idiot when you're doing like a little comedy act because you can't go up to him and say you're a fucking idiot and you 
like torture and kill everybody all the time because then you'll get murdered, right? So I think that's the origins of comedy. And I think it's weird how these present day comedians like that are very powerful, like Dave Chappelle and all those people are like taking that and wearing that as their their like little cape. And I'm like the oppression cape or something. And then they're like making it so confusing because they're like, no, we're the oppressed and it's like what what's that, going on that's, here every oppressor sees himself as a victim yeah. like that's how it's always yep. worked is people identify as canceled as a way mm-hmm. to rally their bases as a way to make right. more money there's a kind of right. purchase that comes from look at me i'm being yeah. marginalized but what's right. happening in contemporary political culture is people's oppressors discomfort is seen as mm-hmm. tantamount and equivalent to like the material oppression of trans people. So like I do this joke on stage where I say, I believe empathy is a two way street. I know I need to have compassion for my cis brothers and sisters. That's why every morning during my sun salutation, I take a 15 second breath to reflect on how difficult it must be for cis people to use they, them pronouns. And I'm trying to show people how that's what they're upset about. It's Meanwhile, so hard for you. every 32 hours a trans person is killed on this earth. And that's a Seriously. conservative estimate because when we're brutalized and murdered, we're misgendered when we die. So we mm-hmm, don't actually even mm-hmm. have the data to account for what is an ongoing attempted project of genocide. So yeah. what comedy actually allows me to do is to show your discomfort is not at all equivalent to what I'm doing, what, what, what the kind of lives that we're living. But there's yeah. a kind of financial purchase to being to posturing oneself as a victim through being right. uncomfortable. Well, like Ricky Gervais, you think he's ever set even had the fucking thought of being I can't go to a comedy show cuz I'm afraid. Has that thought ever fucking crossed his mind? But no, he's somehow the biggest victim out of anyone else. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's so Such a ridiculous. Great point, though. Because all of those white comedians, it is they they're manifesting these like made up conflicts and currently now it's like the woke mob this cancel culture like let's just be really clear we had a capital insurrection riot that is an actual mob (laughs) right there's no woke mob right but this is the power of language and this is why we have to be involved in the project of language and meaning making is that Mm. people are more afraid of antifa than they are a wildfire. How did that come to be is through discourse. It's through mm. storytelling. There's stories that are told about trans people that are mm. fundamentally wrong. And as a comedian, I'm able to show those scripts as being wrong and then show the scripts that get invisibilized as reality. What I see comedy is about is about organizing what we think of as absurd and what we mm-hmm. think of as reality and inverting mm. that. Right. I love that. I have to just say one thing. I think that the right now, I think why there's so many cis people that are like obsessed with um, harming the trans community. I think there's like a big pushback because I feel like there was this push to um, stop bigotry against trans people that was like wonderful and beautiful like in the last like i would even say it was very short-lived it was like five years and it was progressing so rapidly in a great way and then there was like this shitty pushback of this like no do you know what i mean and it makes me so fucking sad because it's like it's like one of these things where i'm like i mean i i remember all my life trans people were always the butt of the joke on TV every fucking night, you know, every fucking late show episode, late night show episode. And I saw this like recently in the last like very small amount of time, like five years, I was like, finally, this is going to end. And wow, I see the light of the end of the tunnel, I think. And then there was like this heavy fucking hammer, like, fuck no, you know, that's like really upsetting. Well, to, to like live model wearing many hats and put on my academic hat for a second, like, yeah ridiculing trans people is not just about trans people it's about policing all people into gender norms it's a pr campaign that says if you depart from traditional man or woman we're going to make fun of you and make your life miserable like what we're doing to a look 
And so that's what makes me so annoyed when people frame trans issues as a minority struggle, because it's actually, there's a reason why anti-abortion laws are at the exact same time as anti-trans laws. They're Mm -hmm. both about policing women into reproducing agent. And if you have any other ambitions, desires, dreams, entanglements, that has to be nullified and eliminated. And so what I'm trying to get people to understand is that trans people are blowing a whistle saying this is going to affect all of y'all too. Like all of y'all are being policed into these old school Victorian era white gender norms. And people are more concerned about men in dresses than they are about global economic collapse. That's an orchestrated and coordinated strategy. Right. Like that's so brilliant. We had some questions here, but like there's just this has just been such a great discussion. And yeah, um, I guess what we want to know is like, what are your earliest and most formidable formidable memories of how masculinity versus femininity is established in Punjabi and Malayali cultures? Yeah, sure. So I grew up with men in skirts um, Mm. and and they're called lungis or dhotis. And some of the most masculine men I knew were were, would tie up their skirt like a mini skirt. (laughs) and walk around. So Mm. it just really irritates me because so much of our gender norms are white gender norms. Mm -hmm. And I think especially as Asians and Asian Americans, we need to be leading that conversation to actually be like, where we're from, there's a totally different aesthetic sensibility and definition of what gender is. Um, Mm. Where like beauty culture isn't gendered in the same ways. Adornment culture isn't gendered in the same ways. I grew up with men wearing flamboyant colors and jewelry and mm. mirrors and practicing adornment and going to a salon. And these things weren't seen as feminine. That's not to say that there wasn't misogyny and sexism, but when people say to me that I'm gender non-conforming, I say from a white lens. Mm. In my own culture, I'm not gender non-conforming, I'm brown. So when you're mm-hmm. saying that body hair isn't feminine, you mean from a white lens because I grew Mm, up with hairy women all the time and that didn't disqualify their femininity or their womanhood. That's only a white beauty aesthetic that now has become internalized by many people through legacies of conquest, right? So Mm -hmm. I think for me, it's weird because I grew up in a house where I was actually completely accepted for my gender nonconformity. And that was Mm. by virtue of my family being Indian and understanding and acknowledging the sacred roles historically that trans and gender diverse people played within our cultures. I grew up not even needing a word to describe what I was because people already kind of knew what I was. When I go back to India with my nose ring, people know what I'm doing and what I'm giving. There's not the same sense of like third gender people don't, people know they may not like us, but they know that we exist. Whereas in the West, we have to continually be like, Hey everyone, we're real. But in South Asia, people are like, of course you're real. I mean, there's like thousands of years of documented history and organizing from you people. Here we go. So I think what really frustrates Mm -hmm. me in the conversation around trans and non-binary rights in this country is people say that this shit is new or that like Mm -hmm. non-binary is a new millennial trend or fad. And I'm like, we've literally been here in POC cultures for hundreds of years. I feel like there's also this belief among white people that they're the progressive ones, that they're bringing this idea to us. That is what fucking mm. gets my goat. They're like, oh, you know, like, this is a thing from our from our civilization to your people. Like, it's just <laughs> like, I don't know. That's the vibe I'm catching. No, it's true. Right? But, uh, and in- you grew up in Texas, right, Alok? Right. Because it's like you exist in the extremes. Like, I feel like in Texas, Mm -hmm. more so than any place in America, people would identify you as you're so gender nonconforming, yet you come from this culture where it's just is. It's not this, it's not this like ascribed label, like this label that you're ascribing to me. It was a trip. (laughs) I like to describe (laughs) it as like homo on the range, you know? It was, (laughs) it was like, um, it was a lot. A lot of stuff was happening. But I now, I'm so deeply in love with the fact that I'm a Texan and I make mm. sure every time I'm touring to do shows in Texas and I actually put together at 50 years after the Stonewall riots in 2019, I put together a pride party in my hometown in small town, Texas. And mm. I performed and I brought drag queens from across Texas and we made it for a minute, a little queer utopia. And I really believe that the future of the queer movement is in the South. 
because mm. actually what most people mm. don't know is the highest number of LGBTQ people living in the United States live in the American South. And wow. the reason they don't know that is because the only representation we have in media is LGBTQ people are white urban elites mm-hmm. on the West and East Coast. Where right. actually, like, if you go to places like Dallas and Atlanta, yeah. there are mm-hmm. so many black and brown queer and trans people everywhere. Like, you'll literally mm-hmm. just be pulling up in a car being like, oh, my God, hey, like, every you see it's everywhere. And so right. what I really want to challenge in my work is, like, sometimes I go on stage with a Texan accent. I say, hey, everyone, howdy. My name's Alok. I'm a non-binary trans fan from College Station, Texas. I'm really trying to challenge people's ideas and imaginations, not just of gender, but also what it means to be Texan and from the South, because actually the South is just a minority of rich white conservatives occupying a majority black Mm -hmm. and brown queer space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we can't concede that Mm -hmm. ground, right? Yes. And it's like a lot of the, the like sort of bias that these like liberal coastal elite white people have about the South are against the like conservative white people that are occupying the South, like how you said. And it's like, they're acting like, and it's kind of like, when I hear liberal white people talking about how the South is so racist and conservative, I'm like, you're just thinking about the white people that live there and that is racist. Yeah, you're literally erasing an entire population of people. Like, it's like, well, those other people, that's not the South. And I'm like, that that is the South. Yeah, I'm so Mm. glad you said that. And what a, what a, what a great, I mean, I just love all of, all of this. It's so great. What a, I'm so happy that, you know, you, you exist and your work exists because it's just, I feel like such important work and the work that needs to be done right now. I'm just grateful to exist in this time, you know, because yeah. I just feel like, and I'm really feeling this being on tour, there's so much support. It can feel easy to just focus on like all of the discrimination and the violence and the bad comedy mm-hmm. But alongside it, there's like Mm. so much love and so much support. And people are taking sanctuary very seriously. Like, how do I become a sanctuary for refugees, for Asian Americans who are afraid of taking the subway, for Mm. trans people who are getting harassed every day? And I feel that's what really grounds me and keeps me keep going is like the deep Mm. love that our communities show for each other amidst all of this despair. The ways in which like when I was speaking at a rally at the governor's mansion in Austin a few weeks ago, um, a young trans kid came up to me with a wand that he had painted in the colors of the trans flag. And he said that he gets bullied at school, so he pretends that he's a wizard to keep the bullies away. And he knew that I got bullied too, so he gifted me his wand. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, like the narrative out there is that trans kids are these hapless victims being oppressed, but also trans kids are so powerful too. And so loving and so protective of all of us. Mm. It's like so touching. It's like the, that's also been very moving to me. It's like, yeah, it is like the hardest time, but it's also like the best time because like that, the shitty stuff has, you know, really made everyone else vocal about their support and love and like community. And that's like, it is very moving. Like I was seeing self-defense workshops with like Asian cis women and trans and gender non-conforming people coming together to talk mm. about like how to be in public in New York and fearing street harassment and violence. Like, mm. I hate that it takes this level of atrocity to make that yeah. happen. But the fact yeah. that that's happening is so beautiful to me. And it's the kind Absolutely. of connection and solidarity that I have wanted for so desperately in my life. So moving. It reminds me of that meme. Have you ever seen that meme? <laughs> and there's like a puppy and it's standing in front of a little kitten. And it's like, yeah, 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 you have to to come through me first. And it's so it's so heartbreaking because it's like, here we are, you know, people that are like marginalized and going through a lot of pain. But like, we're like standing up for each other. And it's it's so that Juan story is so moving. Well, you know, we we wanted to ask because we love your approach to fashion, which is, you know, just to wake up, ask yourself how you feel and dress how you feel. And we're wondering, can you give us some tips on connecting fashion and beauty to our extreme range of feelings yeah i my tip is dress like you did when you were younger because actually yes. kids kids are yeah. right <laughs> they just say i don't want to wear this i do want to wear this i like this i don't like this and they're yeah. not concerned about is this for boys is this for girls what are people going to think mm-hmm. about me do these things match am i allowed to wear this color at this time of day it's genuinely like an immediate reaction of this is what i need and plot yeah. twist we're still that kid actually 
It's just mm-hmm. now we have all this social judgment and pressure about like, what are people going to think about me? And so mm-hmm. actually, if people got dressed for themselves not to placate other people's discomfort, we would live in a gendered free fashion world. Because yes. I see men in Manhattan wearing suits when it's 110 degrees outside. I'm like, yeah. what are you doing? Put on a freaking skirt. This is so absurd. <laughs> Damn. I'm a perpetrator of this. Exactly. Like, I think every man should be asking themselves in the summer, why am I wearing pants? <laughs> I literally why just I bought pants? a pair of brown leather shoes. And I'm like, the child in me would have hated this. Hated and you. I dragged them. you. <laughs> and I bought brown them solely because I'm shoes. like, well, I'm an adult and I'm a man. So I should be wearing brown leather shoes. Fuck. Free yourself, Damn. Brian. Free yourself yeah. from the confines of heteronormative Yes, yes, The yes. child in me is so upset at me. <laughs> I love that, though. Yeah, I mean, it's so true. Like, I even when I shop and, like, you know, choose clothes and style for myself, I, I've totally become disconnected with my sense of play. And it's, if I really sit and think about it, it's more of, like... How can you be a comedian disconnected from your sense of play? Like, isn't our <laughs> role as comedians to be ambassadors for play? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's yeah. why I think it's the joke when most male comedians are on stage in a baggy t-shirt. I'm like, <laughs> that's exactly. So you're going to tell me that you can be creative in all realms, except in your own personal appearance. Like, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're so restrictive uh. in the style of dress because it's like, it's a confine. It's like, if I don't dress like a fucking sleaze bag comedian guy, whatever that means in my head, the, my bros are not going to take me seriously. It's actually you're dressing for your bros. Let's be very clear. There's a kind of there's a kind of thing going on there. (laughs) Oh, totally. There is a thing. The male gaze. Yeah, not the male gaze. I'm I'm getting jacked and getting a six pack for my bros. Right. (laughs) For the bros. Because that's hundred percent what's happening. (laughs) But Alok, we also want to know your thoughts on aging too, because you know, given how much of beauty and fashion culture is to make people feel anxious about growing old, and you know, skincare Mm. and beauty, and especially like Korean beauty, it's marketed with this message of stay young forever. How how do we move away from that? And what are your thoughts on all of this? Yeah, you know, I'm at this place in my life now where I'm not trying to convince people to be free. They have to make that choice themselves. What Mm -hmm. I'm trying to do is to live my life so rambunctiously and flamboyantly that I show people that they're wrong. I don't need to convince them. And so Mm. I'm just going to age and still be glamorous and fashionable everywhere I go. Like, I'm so excited for my style iterations in the future. I hope that when I'm like 70, I'm wearing saris and platform sneakers every day. Like, Mm -hmm. and like maybe like huge shoulder pad cardigans on top of my saris. Like, I think that there's ways in which I'll adapt, but I'm still always going to be serving a look. And I love fashionable old people who are constantly saying like, I don't have to compromise my style or my sensuality for other people's comfort. I just think genuinely subversion begins within. Mm. It, It actually, we have to go internal in order for us to go external. And I think so often people are so convinced with what other people care about them or think about them. But why would I want people who would spend time being mean in a comment section versus playing Mario Kart? Why would I elevate their opinion about my body as real? (laughs) Like, what kind of choices are you making with your life? Okay, you literally think water is seasoning. And you like, <laughs> like, I don't need your, your criteria and your taste palette will never be able to decipher my glamour. So mm-hmm. I'd rather just develop a self image. And I think that's actually what threatens people so much about trans and gender nonconforming people like me is that we mm-hmm. have a strong self image where people mm-hmm. see us and say, oh my God, like, how do you, you must get harassed so much. And I'm like, yeah, I do. And what you must hate yourself. How does that feel? Yeah. The fact that they're not fucking getting to you is fucking getting to them mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Like, wow, God, I, for- I forgot what it said. Like, why would you about like Internet trolls? I, yeah. I remember I read this thing once. It was like, why would you let somebody that in real life you would not even give the time of day right. <laughs> get to you? Like, if I saw this like fucking nerd in real life. I say a nerd lovingly. Like if I saw this troll in real life, I'd be like, I don't care what you you have to say about me. I'm not going to listen. Like, why would I let that guy bother me? You know? Yeah. I think it's such a great point that you just 
brought up here is that you know the, these transphobic comments and criticisms it's often on the guise of like well choose a side like you can't like which one is it is it well, where do you lie on this on this binary but the truth of the matter is it's it's almost it's like takes the most self-belief and the most self-conceptualization and the most confidence and that's like completely opposite to what these people who feel insecure and like are projecting their yeah. hate onto i mean every hate, yeah. com- every hate yep. comment is just an ask for help truly yep and yep. it's a projection I th- I, that's why i'm sending love and light to these girls like i can't even yeah. imagine what it must be like to like hate yourself that much i'm just yeah. really committed to being happy and having a good time and that's taken me a long time to get here right like i used to indulge all of it like i wanted to clap back i wanted to justify myself no i'm great and then i realized i cannot reason with someone who is Mm -hmm. committed to their pain as an identity to their Mm -hmm. grief as a personality and to their suffering as a virtue this would require Mm -hmm. them to rewrite their entire self-narrative that's not going to be able to happen for me but what yep. I can do is invest all the energy I was trying to convince other people that I was great, that I'm legitimate, that I'm a good person into living right. my best life. Yeah. Right. I yep. hate to be that girl boy, but I have to head out. And okay. I, I'm, I, because this is a podcast about Asian feeling, I want to say that I'm feeling sad about time, which is an oppressive structure that is preventing us from so much meaning and connection together. And it's been so Aww. wonderful to connect with you both. Oh, absolutely. Well, it was so nice to talk to you. That was such a great conversation. And thank you so much for doing it again. Of course. All right, listeners. Sorry for the abrupt end. But unfortunately, Alok's schedule is so, so crazy for good reason. Because they're just booked and busy. And uh, they had a hard out. And we just got so invested in all the things they had to say that we couldn't get to the rest of the questions. But... <sighs> Well, what are so I guess we can like we had a that was a very intense conversation. Um right. and then I feel like it touched on a lot of topics that are topical today. Yeah. Um yeah. and that we have never really discussed on this podcast. How how are you feeling about the discussion, Brian? I thought it was fantastic. You know, I I I feel very fortunate to have had a conversation with Alok because yeah. uh I think that's they they do that so well is to like really um explain these uh nuanced concepts especially in regards to gender nonconformity in mm-hmm. a like really easy to digest way where for someone like me like i may have certain gaps in my knowledge but i'm i'm keeping an open mind and overall i've just like everything they said just was like wow i was just nodding my head vigorously and um they're feelings that i have possessed but to hear Mm -hmm. uh them put it into words was like very illuminating Mm. yeah i love it when i talk to somebody like that and they are so smart that like it feels like it's like feeding my brain or something. Do you know what I mean? When you, when you speak to somebody that's like very smart about a certain topic and you're like, Oh yeah. Like I can feel myself learning. Yeah. And like, I, I really appreciated the inside baseball, like comedy conversation. Cause Mm. it is, it is, it, it is a thing that I talk about, especially amongst like other POC comedians is that you have these white established comedians who yeah like oftentimes like do their thing on youtube and uh they it's comedy comes from a position of being oppressed like you cannot be the oppressor and also be a comedian and mm-hmm. uh, endear yourself to an audience because so much of humor comes from as we discussed earlier like this fissure this this like challenge or this difficulty and it's a twofold thing. You want to make light of it, but you also process the information and turn it into a joke. And it helps you remind yourself that it'll be okay. But with yeah. these white with these white comedians, so much of the comedy is centered around this quote unquote woke mob. Like comedy, mm-hmm. comedy can't comedy is so like tarnished and ruined now. There's this mm-hmm. woke mob, and it's like the most cowardly thing to me because. It's a non-existent enemy, but I think that yep. sort of that sort of dialogue 
it's being prolonged and it has no signs of going away because like we said you're fighting with your imagination so there, mm-hmm. there is no like entity there's no like woke mob that's out to get me as we've seen already like people who've been quote-unquote canceled they're not really no one's truly been canceled people like yeah yeah forget the media cycle like so what is this what is the what what is this woke mob you know it's for me it's almost like pathological it's like they see an oppressed group and then they wear the the face of that group as their own they're like mimicking them and the people that are like the, the weird thing is like the the mass population the people that feel the same way like feel oppressed and victimized are now right. following these leaders who don't who are not oppressed because they're wearing the skin of the people that are oppressed it's like a wolf in sheep's clothing and they're like i'm a sheep too guys i'm a sheep too and all these other yeah. sheep are like oh he's a sheep too and then but but it's like this bizarre like manipulative thing that a lot of people that are not oppressed and have a lot of power do and it's really it's very uncomfortable for me when i see that like it's like the whole trump thing trump is always like i'm so oppressed i'm the biggest victim and i think he deeply believes that and i'm like what is Mm. going on psychologically you know yeah it's it's really disturbing you know just like that example that we said in the episode like you know trans people queer people feel scared to go to comedy shows and we we all can see why we all know why we know we know why because we've seen them in public before being attacked right right and the fact that dave Chappelle, ricky gervais are gonna act like they are more oppressed than those people what (laughs) what <laughs> what like every time ricky gervais goes into a public space people are like oh here's a free meal oh you get to sit down first oh my god like that's his experience in life versus right, a trans right, person right. who's fearing for their lives everywhere they go it's it blows my fucking mind brian it's like yeah mind-blowing yeah but overall i, I just it. Lo- it was overall i love the logo it's such a lovely conversation i think one of my other big takeaways is yeah. just you Great. know leaning into our senses of play i think oh yeah yeah i love that yeah i mean i i you know i I, i'm insecure i'm anxious i i think a lot about how others perceive me and Mm -hmm. so much of that is just tied to societal expectations and even as something as obvious as just clothing choices or things that seem so uh innocuous and not low impact i'm like am i yeah am i how much of this am i doing right i'm like am i how much of this is me doing this because i sincerely like it or if it's just because i'm of a certain age and i have a certain job and i (laughs) want to be a part of a certain group and this is just what's going down you know but, but yeah. I have to say, I'm glad, you know, I have to say there's a balance there because like, I think this is like our, part of the larger discussion that we have being from an Asian culture where we're like, oh, we have to tap into doing things for ourselves more. But right. there is obviously, uh, there is a little bit of like, I mean, this is like, I guess not really what, when it comes to fashion or joy, mm. little joys that you give yourself in life, but like, for sure. maybe this isn't actually true because i was like i don't actually give a fuck about anybody when it comes to my fashion and i i'm Mm. gonna and i want to tap even deeply more into that i don't want to think about the society as a whole (laughs) at all not in this (laughs) not in this like in other areas yes but not in this area you know right in this area i think we should have total complete freedom as adults you know yeah Yeah. gosh i think i felt i felt like i got roasted to oblivion when <laughs> Alok what? was like Alok was just like well, how could you play like how could you not be a part uh, into your sense of play but uh call yourself a and comedian, be a comedian? And, be yeah. so, so, and like I have literally thought to myself about my like self-conceptualization of like what is my comedy brand and I'm like maybe I'm like a serious guy but is also like dryly very funny. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. I even use the adjective serious to describe myself as a comedian. <laughs> well, how do we want to end no. this episode? Um, I'm going to end it by saying I look forward to Brian dressing more. Maybe next time he's on here, he's going to have purple hair this time. <laughs> 
<laughs> maybe he'll be wearing a see-through rainbow shirt next time. Yeah, maybe I gotta make you. it. Maybe I gotta make an appointment with Chan and get my hair bleached. <gasps> just yeah, maybe do something for you. Just be goofy <laughs> and silly. Maybe you get the acrylic nails, and we'll see. Gender non-conforming <laughs> Brian. I, I'm excited for this new gender non-conforming Brian. I'm gonna come next time I record. I'm wearing a th- full-on three-piece suit. <laughs> I've gone in the opposite or double down in the opposite direction. But that is, but that's drag too. That's the whole thing. A man dressing yeah. like a man is drag. Like that. Somebody <laughs> told you that that is what a man is supposed to look like, and you're performing that. That's like you know. That's the whole thing. I feel like that's that's the whole thing. Anyway, that, I and guess young that me was sense it. of play is. Uh, Young me sense of play is wearing a. I'm gonna be wearing the suit. A power suit. <laughs> I'm gonna be wearing the suit. I'm gonna be drag. I'm gonna dress in drag. I think you know. Obviously, uh. we didn't get to talk to Alok about this, but I, the realization I had recently that my friend told me that who was trans, she was like, "Well, all of it is a performance, right? Like we think that right. we're born thinking that men look like this and women look like that, but that's it's not sure. at all." And it's like none of us knew what what we were supposed to dress like. Somebody taught us that. And so, yeah, it's like we're all in drag is the, I think, the takeaway here. (laughs) It's all a performance. (laughs) That'll be the title. Yeah. It's all a performance. Um, Yeah. But listeners, if you made it this far, uh, thank you for supporting the podcast. And, you know, we're 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 equally bummed that Alok had to... uh, you know they're busy they're booked and busy so uh, wait let's plug their um let's plug their um social media find alok online and learn more about their work they're a great follow absolutely highly highly recommend you can find them on instagram at alok v menon that is a l o k v m e n o n and what about you young me Oh, me, you can find uh, YM Mayor or Young Me Mayor on TikTok. How about you, Brian? You guys can find me on socials at It's Brian Park. If you've made it this far into the podcast, you know what time it is. It's time for some Patreon shout outs. Just as a reminder, if you love the Feeling Asian podcast and you've thought to yourself, how could I help support this wonderful independent venture? Well, the answer is Patreon. Check it out. We have different subscription tiers, but the best way to support the podcast is to subscribe and donate to our Patreon at patreon.com slash feelingasian. Any donation amount gets you a shout out on the podcast where we guess who you are. And without further ado, these are this week's shout outs. First shout out goes out to Nicole Kyle. Nicole I am going to guess that you are an art therapist who listens to hyper pop music. Now, I don't know what hyper pop music is, but I like the way it sounds. And as evidenced from your Patreon donation, you are an incredibly thoughtful and great person. Next shout out goes out to Alex Choi. Alex, you're a swim instructor who eats Hot Pockets for breakfast every morning. It's a little weird quirk of yours. Your friends and family love it, love that about you, but that is confirmed. I'm less confident about the swim instructor part, but I am very confident that you eat Hot Pockets for breakfast every morning. Next shout-out goes out to Chrissy Liu. Chrissy, you're a project manager. You live in San Francisco. And you drink way too much White Claw at parties, which means you love to have a great time, but you won't drink anything else but White Claw. You always bring two six packs of White Claw to every party. It's intended for sharing, but somehow you end up drinking 12 White Claws at every party you go to. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Next shout out goes out to Regina Sav. Regina... Mm, My guess is you work in publishing, but your guilty pleasure is you watch, you hate reading, and you watch a lot of uh, reality television on Netflix. 
I just saw The Ultimatum. Completely unhinged show. Totally hooked. Completely empathize and understand why reality TV rules. <laughs> and the last shout out for this week goes out to Terry Park. Terry Park. You, you're a forest ranger who is barely online. You're free. You are one with nature. But most importantly, you are one with yourself. And all of the other listeners, and myself included, we aspire to your level of zen. So please let us know in the comments if we're close. Teach us your ways. Uh, once again, for all of those who have subscribed, thank you very much. Thank you to this wonderful round of Patreon subscribers. And thank you so much. It really helps us keep the lights running on this podcast. And once again, patreon.com slash feelingasian. Go check it out. And yeah, thank you, everyone. Everyone, be sure to follow our podcast on socials at Feeling Asian Podcast. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash feelingasian. And I think that's it. We'll see you here again next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.